0: Due to a technical issue, we were unable to record the sermon in Thornton this week. Please enjoy this sermon from Calvary in Boulder, which covers a similar theme and scripture passage. Every Sunday morning, we come together from very different places. How your week was, how your life is, how your health is, how your family is, how work is, how your finances are, what's going on in your world. We all come in with a weight of something, and rejoicing in other things. And I know when I stand up to preach every Sunday and I see the audience, I know that there are people who are struggling with big things. and There are people who are on top of the world, and that's the way it is every single week. My prayer is that we open the Word of God today. It comes to us as the Holy Spirit will bring it to you. We are in this series called This We Believe. And we're trying to form a Christian and biblical worldview, a way of thinking about all of life. We believe this, and what we believe then helps us live in the day in which we are. A Christian and biblical worldview is coherent, and it is compelling. It's coherent because it holds together, and it makes sense when it's held together together. We never know it fully, but our job is to study the Word of God and understand the things about the Word of God so that we can see all of the world and all of our life in a Christian and biblical way. Surely there are complexities. There are even mysteries that are hard to understand, but a Christian understanding of life's meaning and purpose is the best way to make sense of life now in our suffering and broken world. With the promise of eternity coming and a world that will be made right by God and for His glory. A Christian worldview is coherent. And it's compelling. It is compelling because it reveals the good life. If you live according to God's will and way and truth and word, it is the good life. The life we were created to live. When Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, He spoke those words in the context of knowing who He is, knowing who His Father is, and living under their authority. So here we are in church today to try to live under the authority of Jesus. We have spent four weeks creating and examining four foundational building blocks for a Christian and biblical understanding of life and truth. Is there an authoritative word from God that He has given to us? The answer... Yes, He has given us His Word. We believe that the Word of God, the Bible is God's Word to us of what we need to know, what He intends for us to know and obey. And believing it and living in it is a life of goodness and joy in the will of God. Secondly, is there a God? Yes, there is a God. Our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be Your name. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign One. He is infinite. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient, knowing all things perfect in every perfection. There is no greater being than can be conceived than our Father who is in heaven. Third, who is Jesus Christ? He is God's Son, the second Person of the Trinity. He existed from all of eternity, but He took on flesh and came to our world to live among us and ultimately to die a substitutionary and atoning death for the sins of the world. He is the Lord and the Savior. We believe Jesus is God's Son. Fourth, is there a Holy Spirit? Yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, fully God, who regenerates lost souls that may become born again. He indwells, He guides, He directs, He empowers believers to live God-honoring lives. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He produces followers of Jesus to live a life more like Jesus, marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These four foundational truths preceded today. And today we turn to the fifth. If we think of how to live life as God, we begin with the Bible. There is a God in heaven. There is a Son, Jesus. There is a Holy Spirit who indwells us. And today we're going to talk about the human condition. What is man? When I say man, I'm not being sexist. I'm using it, Mankind, for men and women together. It is another important foundation to this, we believe, our series. Humanity, Mankind. It will take us three weeks to cover this. We will talk about man created in the image of God, the effects of sin next week to mankind, and then the redemptive work of God to recover the image of God Lawed by sin. I reviewed the above early weeks because a Christian and biblical worldview and understanding of humanity cannot be undertaken without God. So today builds on the earlier weeks. We could not begin with the human condition in week one. We have to begin with God. To remove God from the equation... Well, then you're free to, or forced to, create your view of humanity from whatever you please, from whatever you want it to be. And the insane endeavor of defining humanity without any thought of another outside of ourselves is exactly what is on full display today. And the resultant absurdity and despair everywhere around us Man cannot live without God. But it is the nature of fallen humanity to try to do just that. We live in a culture of profound individualism and autonomy and self-expression. These are the highest values of our present day modern life. Each person must be true to themselves. Identity is whatever internal drives and desires contribute to one's own self-perception. So we've read and spoken about the author and professor Alan Noble who has summarized our contemporary mindset this way, quote, I am my own. Only I can define myself. It doesn't matter how other people see me, only how I see myself now. No one has the right to challenge how I may define myself or express myself, unquote. This is the mantra of our day. Our society assumes that we are our own, that we are belonging only to ourselves, and reality is what anybody perceives it to be. Truth is determined by each person subjectively. There is no such thing as absolute truth. So Allow me to speak in a way that will contradict that. And the Bible actually has a word for us about who God is, who Jesus is, and who who humans are. The Bible speaks and affirms several truths about what it means to be human. In our This We Believe series, we actually have a statement that encompasses the human condition. And this is how it reads, and this will be the marker for our next three weeks. We believe that God created Adam and Eve in His image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under His wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued and reconciled and renewed. That statement will form the foundation and outline for our next three weeks. Today we're going to address the opening line, we believe God created Adam and Eve in His image. And what does that mean? Last year, I gave two messages in August on the image of God. I don't know if you were here and remember those. This year we're going to give three. You say, well, why are you talking so much about this? Well, how do you think? Because there's another message, and I bet you've heard it more than once in the last year. So we need to understand what the, what the Bible says. We open to the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and we read that God created and still creates humans in His own image. Genesis 1, 26. then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, In verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I want you to just make note of a couple things as we move along here. Number one, only humans are said to be so created in the image of God. It is the distinguishing mark of humanity and mankind that separates us from all else in the creation. And humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. This is the sixth day of creation that these words are spoken. And the pattern is different here than the other days of creation. And we move from God saying, let there be light, let there be an expanse, let there be, let there be, to on day 6 saying, in verse 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And there's a collaboration in the triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to do something special in the creation after having created all of the earth and the animals and the stars and the sun and the oceans and water to say, let us do this in mankind. Only one creature is said to be created in the image of God. When God wanted to create something most like Himself, He created humans. Image and likeness, spoken a couple times here and elsewhere in the Bible, are used interchangeably here. The combination of terms is the emphatic way that the Bible records that man is closely patterned to the Creator. We are similar, but not identical. We are in His image and in His likeness. And that's what we hope to understand today. I mentioned that humans become the pinnacle of the creation, the the highest of creation. And that's taken up poetically in the book of Psalms by David in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 5, where he says these words. Looking out into the heavens, when I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, And when you do that at night and you see that, don't you sometimes go, and yet David is saying, when I look at all of that, and I say, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man that you care for him? I see the expanse of the universe, and then I see myself. I say, Who am I that you think about me? What's the answer? oh, you made humans a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. It's David's poetic way of saying there's something about the human creation by God in His image that should make us say when you see another human, in the same way that you look at the stars. Because the idea is that there is no other entity in all of creation that is created in the image of God the way humans are. Similar, but not identical. This will be a very important time if you're a young person in the room, and I know we probably have more kids in the room today than normal, but I want to show you two other places where the poetry of the Old Testament talks about the creation of the human being in terms of God doing something magnificent for which we can say this is our true identity created in the image of God. So I'm going to put it on the screen. You can write it in your notes. But Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Here, again, David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it together. These words, David is attributing to God the very work of forming his life in the womb of his mother, being created by God through the procreation process, and in that moment and in that place, knowing that he has been made in his mother's womb Fearfully and wonderfully by God Himself, His soul knows that there is something about His life created by God from conception. If you're looking for a way to think about where do I find my identity, it begins with knowing that God formed in the womb your life. The next verses, 15 and 16, say, My frame was not hidden from You. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I was known by God. When I was being conceived and developed and growing, I was known by God. Your eyes saw me. And in Your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when there was not yet one of them. God knows my life if there's one thing i would want every young person to walk away today is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by god he created you he knows your life your life is by him and for him it is an amazing thing to be created in the image of god and this is what the bible seems to understand it is who you are Being created in the image of God has led to all kinds of theological conversations and theologians over the years have tried to summarize what does it mean, what actually is the image of God, and we will try to look at that and define it and I'm going to give you a couple categories to think about. When humans were created different than all of the other created living beings, what is it about the image of God that sets us apart from your cat? It shouldn't be hard to think about. But I'll try to help. So here's the heading. Understanding the image of God. There are two ways to think about it. The first is ontologically. By ontologically, I mean what something is in its essence. In and of itself. What we are by nature. Who we are in our essence. Dr. Wayne Grudem gives, gives this definition of what we might say is the ontological meaning of the image of God. The fact that man is in the image of God simply means that man, and women, mankind is, is like God and represents Him. We are like God in a way that the other animals in the creation are not like God. It's a part of our nature. It is something in the very makeup of who we are. And we talk about this first, rather than the second category, which we will in a moment, because it's important to understand that every human being has in nature the divine gift of mirroring something about God before doing anything, before functioning in a way, ontologically, in essence, and by nature, every human being is in the image of God. So that you could say, before you do a certain thing, you are in the image of God. That's what we mean by ontologically. And we must do this first lest we do the functional ways that the image of God is manifested and say, oh well that has the image of God and that doesn't. What the Bible affirms is that every human being is created in the image of God. Do you understand that? So then the second category to think about what is the image of God is is functionally. And by functionally what we mean is how is the image of God expressed in human beings differently than it is in others. And there are five specific aspects that we could think about functionally. These are aspects that I'd like to just briefly explain. And I'll put them up there and you can think about it. But how is the image of God expressed? Well, number one, morally. There are moral aspects to being a human being created in the image of God. And when we say that, we would say that all human beings are morally accountable to God. For our actions, for our motives, for our thoughts, for everything about us. We are moral in the sense that we have a sense of right and wrong within us. And that sets us apart from animals who have little innate sense of morality or justice. They respond to fear and punishment and reward, but they don't have that innate sense that a human being has. The Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 2, that even people who have not been given the law of God have the law of God internally written on their hearts because they know that to hurt someone is wrong. Murder is wrong. There are certain things that are known we have a moral sense about us. This is the moral aspect of what it means to be created in the image of God. We might further say then that when we act in a moral way or in a righteous way or in a holy way, We better reflect the one who created us, who himself is perfect and holy in every way. And we do not act like God when we do not act righteously or morally. When we are immoral, we do not reflect the image of God. But we possess this capacity to have a moral sense of our being before God. The second is our spiritual aspects. Uh, We possess an immaterial soul. We have a spirit within us. We relate to God as persons. It is human to pray. It is human to worship. This is the spiritual aspect of our life, that there is something in us that wants to correspond with something higher outside of ourselves, ideally God why was so drawn to worship something idolatry if not god but we pray and that you pray is part of your spiritual being in the image of god you can even pray for the salvation of someone else i guarantee your cat has never prayed for another cat now wired with a spiritual sense of relating to God in this way. Spiritual. And we possess immortality. We will live eternally. It's a part of the spiritual aspect of who we are. We have mental aspects. Thirdly, we're able to perform, at some level, abstract reasoning. We can think about thinking it for a minute. We're able to think in this way and use complex language. Um, we, we're able to use words and think them through and their meaning and in, in a way that's not merely concrete but abstract. Wayne Grudem in his theology book talks about uh, the difference between what a dog will do and what, what a five-year-old will do. And he uses this illustration that he said, I told my son I want you to go down to the basement and get my big red screwdriver on the workbench. And a five-year-old can do that. Maybe not a two-year-old. But as we grow, we develop this ability to know that down is a flight of stairs. The workbench is in that room. On the workbench is something red and big, a screwdriver. And if I told my dog to do that, he couldn't do it. I trained my dog to get my newspaper. But reward and punishment helped him know that, not, not the ability to abstract think. This is part of the gift of what it is to be human. And you'll see that because we don't all have the same capacities, you cannot first say that the ability to reason is how you know the image of God is somewhere. Because not all are created with the same, and some have diminished capacities, but the image of God is still present. Very important to get these in the right order. We also, in our mental aspects, have a good sense of what is present and what is future and what is distant future. We're able to think about eternity, what I will do tomorrow. No animal thinks about what they're going to do next week. We do. In fact, the Bible says that we have eternity in our hearts. He said eternity in our hearts, so we think about eternity. In our mental aspects, one of the most important is that we are creative. This is perhaps one of the most significant things about being human, is we have the capacity to create things. Yeah, I'm talking about simple things like, like creating music, art, literature, a great meal, a garden, a uh, garden something that you build. We have the capacity to do that like no other creature. Now God created, and so when we create, we are like Him. We, we represent Him. We, we, we mirror Him. We don't create out of nothing. God did that, but we create because we are created in His image. Relational aspects, we experience the death of personality. We experience marriage. God is a relational God. We have that capacity within us. It's an important part of who we are. And our physical aspects are a mirror of God. God is the spirit. He does not have a body, although Christ, God prepared a body for Christ and He has one. But our bodies reflect something of God's character. Much of what we do with our bodies, God does. We talk, we see, we listen. We speak, we create, this is what God does. Our physical body helps us to create in the most creative way, to bear children, to procreate. We are creators. In fact, it's part of the mandate, be fruitful and multiply, which we'll see in a moment. So God does not have a body, He is spirit, but there are some ways that our physical bodies reflect something of God's character and therefore constitute what it means to be created in the image of God. As image bearers, in summary then, we reflect God. Now we're in Genesis chapter 1, and this is all that it says. This is a pregnant phrase, image of God. What we find out as we study the Bible is that it becomes filled out as you begin to read the rest of the Old Testament, even the New Testament narratives about Jesus, and then the teachings of the apostles. What does the image of God mean? That's why we're going to take three weeks on it. How you doing? Okay? All right, let me see if I can take, give you four things to, to take away, which will be summarize, of why it's important to think about humanity created by God in His image. Number one, uh, I know I've given you probably a couple number ones, but this is what I want you to take away. Four things that I would say. To try, to, try to remember this. This is important to me as you think about, so, it's, so what? of the image of God. Every human being is worthy of dignity and respect. Every human being. If God created mankind, then there isn't a mankind, there isn't a human being who isn't created without the image of God. So every human being deserves respect. Those we agree with and those we disagree with. Those who, who manifest some of these traits that we just talked about here and those who say, well, I don't see anything that, that mirrors God there. The image of God is present. So from beginning of life in conception in the womb, human dignity, human respect for babies in the womb. This is why we say abortion would be wrong. Abortion would terminate the life that God's creating in the womb that is, possesses already the image of God. All the way to the grave. Which is why human dignity all the way to death is really significant, worthy of respect. All people display and manifest the image of God in various ways and degrees. Not all in the same ways and degrees, but all are equally created in the image of God, right? Number two. The image of God underscores the importance of work and relationships. You don't hear this that often, but God created work for human beings. Everybody say? "Eh." God created work before the fall happened. There was a mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, till, steward the land. That was man's work in the garden. Before the fall came. And work is an important part of human dignity. And this gets filled out later in the New Testament when Paul says, if anyone doesn't work, they don't eat. Work is a part of what it means to be human. And maybe that will just help some of you think about what you're going to do when you go to work tomorrow and say, I go to work tomorrow. This is part of my mandate as being created in the image of God. I'm a creator and I have to embrace work. Do I love work? Mm. Not every day. I don't either. But I know that God called me to work, and work is what it means to be human, and is part of what's filling out, exercising our role of subduing the earth and dominion and however we do that in our world, work and relationships. Relationships matter. It matters how we relate to people. Because God created us, excuse me, with this internal ability to think and love and relate to people in a a relational way that exceeds all the other creatures as they relate to God. So our relationships matter here on earth. And that's why when you talk about this kind of subject, our relationships with people matter. And when we get to number three, in just a second, we're going to talk about, well, how how does this help our relationships when we talk about one of the specific things next about what it means to be created in the image of God as you talk to people who totally disagree with point number three that I'm going to give you in a moment. Relationships matter. We're created in the image of God. We're created to love people. Love is the greatest. We were made to love. God loves. God is patient. God is long-suffering. So, number one, every human being is worthy of dignity. Being created in the image of God means work and relationships are really crucial to what it means to live a really full human life. And number three, if we go back to Genesis 127, which you probably thought I was going to skip over, but I'm not skipping it over. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. Number three, we must say today that humanity is composed of two different genders, male and female. Equally created in the image of God. This is God's pattern. This is what God said is very good. Our maleness and femaleness is part of the image of God. By the way, when you read the creation order, it's not only that humans are binary. So much of the created order is binary, equal opposites in all of creation, light and dark, day, night, land, sea, earth, heavens, animal, human, male, female, creature, creator. This is the pattern that God set that was very good, very good. God created males with a Y and X chromosome, females with two X chromosomes. There are two genders in God's created order. A man cannot become a woman because he wants to, and a woman cannot become a man because she wants to. Such thinking is the latest expression of what has always been humanity's expression, a rebellion against God's plan. All sin is that. What we're con- currently observing in our world is just the latest addition of an assault against God's created plan of men and women created in his image, male and female. It goes without saying that the verses that follow this actually say God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The only way that you can do that is with a male and a female together. This is God's plan. This is good. I said to you point number two, relationships are important. This word that you hear, um, you're not going to hear it elsewhere. But this is what God says. And you can love people who disagree, and I want to tell you pastorally, um, my heart goes out to all of us in the room who are touched by the way this rebellion has come to your family. It is a grief, a sorrow, and it's really hard to, to, um, to help, to love, to be with people who reject God's pattern. But love and agreement are not the same thing. It is possible to disagree and love because relationships are important. And number three, that there are two genders is important. It's God's plan. Number four, with this we'll close. We were created by God and for God. If there's one principle that you take away, try to think, how do I bring this into my life today? I was created by God and for God. Another way to say it is, we belong to God. He is the creator. We are the creature. God created us in His image and for His glory. When He wanted to create something most like Himself, He created you. Think about that. He created you. With dignity and significance that come from Him, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me give you a couple verses that you write down and take away. One comes from Isaiah chapter 43. When he's talking about regathering his people, the prophet Isaiah says of the Lord, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons in from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, everybody, for my glory, whom I formed and made. I, I made humans for my glory. The day is coming. Isaiah prophesies that the Lord's going to gather His people, the people that He created for His glory. The next verse from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You belong to God. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It's what He gave you. You are who you are, your body created by God. He knows you. He formed you. In, in your identity, He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows right who you are. We, we should never say to God, I don't like what you did. I'm going to change it. No, you have been bought with a price. He created you. He made you. So glorify God in your body. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Why? Because you belong to Him. See, a Christian worldview says my life is for God. I was created by Him and for Him. And so everything I do is for His glory. That's where it begins and that's where it ends. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. You say, well, that sounds really imposing. That sounds really restrictive. Really? If you have to go out and create your own meaning and then you have to encourage other people to embrace your meaning and you're only substantiated if other people say yes to who you say you are, or you say, I am yours, O God. I belong to you. I was created to be like you. Sin has mucked it up. But I belong to you, and I want to live for your glory. The Bible actually ends In Revelation, with this word, chapter 4, verse 11, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. It's God's will that gives us life. It's God's will that created us. It's for His glory. There's so much more that we could say. We'll try to take it up next week. Do you understand... That God created you. Not the world, everybody else. Yes, the world and everything else, but you. When you come to the place and say, God, I am your creation. I'm created in your image. I was made in the likeness of God. Um, It is sin that distorts our image. And why we have the troubles we do today. We'll take that up next week. But for today, I hope you'll go out saying, I was made for God's glory, so let's glorify Him. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Should we sing? You don't feel like singing? Let's sing the doxology together. Worthy are You, O God, to receive glory and honor, majesty, power, and dominion. Rule in our lives and may our living out of what it means to be human in this broken world increasingly bring You glory. Give us an understanding of our worth and dignity derived by Your own creation. And may we live this week for the glory of our Creator and God, to whom be praised forevermore, we pray. Amen.